I just remember like, is this all worth it? What have I done? Like say if this actually fails and the fear that I had of all the people that I would let down if this didn't work out was something that drove me with so much passion um, that I would say that, you know, I think a lot of female founders probably have that type of fear where we feel the weight of the world are, is on our shoulders every day for our family, for, you know, for our jobs, for the ideas that we have. And I'm not very different from any of that. I felt exactly that way. Um, so it was the fear that actually drove me to succeeding in so many ways. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson. And we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue. And we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. It's Sanira Madani here with the CEO School podcast. I am so honored for today's episode. I'm so excited to welcome one of my dearest friends, Diana Lee. And Diana is the founder of a incredible agency in New York City. It's called Constellation Agency. You need to pull out your notepads and listen to this episode because she's going to give you all the scoop of how she took her company from just an idea in her head to literally today being named the top 10 fastest growing companies in America led by a female founder. I'm so proud of her and I'm so excited to welcome Diana to the podcast. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you so much, Samira. I am so excited to have you here. I honestly can't believe that. So right before uh, this, the call, um, Diana uh, just received the news. So today, actually, Inc. does their annual report for the fastest growing companies in America. And one, not only did Diana make this incredibly tough list to get on, Diana, do you want to share the news of what was just announced literally five minutes ago? Yes. So it was just incredible because Inc. 5000 or Inc. Company doesn't let you know that you've made a list. So I knew that I was getting interviewed uh, a few weeks ago, but I didn't know what the list was. So there was no details given whatsoever. They only said that August 12th, you can go on and there'll be an announcement. And so at uh, eight o'clock this morning, I just logged in and I had my co-founder texting me early in the morning saying, oh my God, we are, you know, 65 on the list of the fastest growing companies here in the U.S. And we are top 10 on the list as a woman-led company uh, in the U.S. So it's just been incredible. incredible. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. And I know all of the girls here listening, uh, we are all so proud of you. How do you feel right now being really crowned like the top 10 fastest growing companies led by a woman 
in the United States? Like, what are you feeling right now? I, I think I'm shocked. You know, I think one of the really interesting things that happened this morning was that um, my co-founder, Matt Woodruff, as well as our CTO was texting me photos uh, of us on the magazine. And so we're in so many of the digital covers right now. And so, you know, they only picked four people on the covers of the digital ads that were all appearing. So that was like super shocking to me. So every day I'm just a little bit more shocked about how much attention that we're getting. And it's just amazing, just kind of shocking, but also grateful. That's so amazing. It is. It's so incredible. I'm so proud of you. Um, it's just so incredible to have followed your journey. I know we, you know, we connected um, last year. So Diana and I received the 2019 Ernst & Young Winning Women. And so this was a class where Ernst & Young selected 12 women throughout the nation. And I know that, you know, you guys have um, heard me interview a few other guests uh, that are from my um, Winning Women class and everyone's just doing such incredible things. But Diana, this is just goes far above and beyond. And it's so well deserved. And it's so incredible to see you in this top 10 list category. I'm so excited for you to share with our audience today what you do. And I'm excited to dig into your story. So let's begin there. Tell us a little bit about Constellation to to get started with. Um, So Constellation was founded in 2016, four years ago, May of 2016. And uh, we are a MarTech company here in New York City. We launched our MarTech in the automotive industry, and we currently work with uh, many of the auto manufacturers here in the U.S. So Volkswagen, Jaguar, Land Rover, Audi, VW, uh, BMW, Mini, Porsche, so on and so forth. For those that don't know, what is MarTech? So it's a marketing technology that allows you to actually launch digital advertising. Uh, we actually have the platform as a SaaS platform, but we also launch it for our clients as well. Um, the MarTech has the ability to actually do hyper-localized advertising. So we can do it by language. We can do it by um, different cultures. We can also do it by hyper-localizing universities, hospitals, local communities of people that live in all over the U.S. and have digital hyper-local ads. And so we have the SaaS platform that created the ability to do this. That's so incredible. So we actually are a customer of uh, Constellation Agency's platform, and it is so incredible. Pretty much what um, Diana does is she's created this ability through algorithms, like through crazy, incredible software that she can help hyper-target your ideal customer, right? So it doesn't matter what product you're selling. We also need to sell at the end of the day to a physical customer. And there is a profile of this customer. This profile could include many things like their age, their demographic, their cultural background, or even likely buyers um, in a certain region. And so uh, Diana can take all of this information and she uses incredible uh, backend platforms and systems and crazy little robots behind the scenes that help find your ideal client. And then her software and her company helps deliver these clients for you so that you can not only pay for ads online, but really target like those, the ads that you're paying for are actually going and are being seen by your target audience. So you're not actually wasting ad dollars by targeting customers that would have never bought from you. Is that correct, Diana? Yes. I mean, you're so smart. I have to say (laughs) you're so smart because you get things so very quickly, but yes, absolutely. And 
you've been an amazing client as well and just such an advocate. And I'm so appreciative of the trust and the support that you give us every day. I honestly feel like tearing up right now. I'm so proud of you. Like this is the coolest news ever to sit here on this show today. We're texting each other. We were preparing for the show. Um, Also some great news for Fat Merchant. We did make the list as well. So we just got our (laughs) announcement as well. This is our second year making the list and we made Inc. 500 both times. So last year we were at 217 and this year we are, I don't know the exact ranking, but it's in the 400s. So we did make the Inc. 500, which is the top 10%. So this is a big deal, you guys. It's the top 10% of fastest growing companies in America And we're both minority women, right? We're culture, like we come from, you know, immigrant parents and backgrounds. And I definitely want to dig into that on today's episode, but I could see just like our families. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of us today. And it's just incredible news one, but two, it's so, I'm so honored that you you were the first at CEO school to like share this exciting like moment together with you. And we're literally smiling from ear to ear, just so grateful and so happy for your friendship. And I really couldn't be more proud of all the things that you're accomplishing, Diana. Thank you so much. And I couldn't do it without you either. I mean, it's amazing to be able to have not just a friend, a client, a supporter that I can call, text, and I'm always picking your ear because you're so smart and just amazing in terms of what you've done with Fat Merchant. So um, just yesterday alone, I know I was talking to you about Fat Merchant and how much you guys had exceeded all these expectations and goals. And even during coronavirus, to hear how well you're doing, it's just been so amazing just to you know be a part of that. I love it. Let's, let's share with our audience. So I'd love to kind of, you know, you know, talk about your story, how you started Constellation Agency. Where did the idea come from to create a marketing tech automation engine? Yeah. So it, of course, so I am 51 years old. So I will say that there was nothing about Constellation that I thought about uh, starting that had technology in it from the beginning. There was like, I, as a 51 year old and not really understanding social media or uh, digital advertising, I really did not think that it would be something that we would start developing. Um, How it happened was um, I actually have 30 years of automotive experience. And so it was, I was raised uh, by the school of hard knocks, you know, almost men around me all the time. And, you know, when you are with a group of people that you never kind of fit in with, like I could never be a part of a good old boys network and I can't get a deal by taking them out, you know, for a drink. Um, Things that I think men have an advantage over women in business. Um, These are ways that I never thought that I could what I could do to grow the company. So initially when we first started back in 2016, it was going to be a digital media company for the automotive industry. That's how small our thinking actually was because I knew that we, I had a lot of connections in automotive and I knew that I could bring in clients in automotive. So we got started right away. And of course I did what, you know, um, I told my partners that I would bring in the clients and that's what I did. I would drive nine to 15 hours in a car going from dealership to dealership, trying to close deals. This is how it all started for over four years ago. It's just 
not very, uh, I would say it was super challenging, but not very glamorous whatsoever. And so um, I was very good in closing those deals. And very quickly, I realized we needed to scale because we would get all these clients and our wish was hyper-localized advertising because we knew that broad advertising wasn't working. We need to actually make it in language for the people that would see the advertisements. We also wanted to hyper-localize it by actually have communities of people that would see the ads of where they worked or the certifications or colleges that they went to. And in order to do that, each demographic, you needed to make anywhere from 20 to 50 ads. So we currently make 250,000 ads a quarter with a team of 70. And so just realizing that we had to scale, we had no other option but to actually go into development. And I really wasn't trying to get there. I mean, I hired interns, high school interns. Um, I try to outsource it in India. None of those things work the first year. And so finally, we said, we can't scale this machine unless we go into development and actually develop the tool that doesn't exist out there to be able to create thousands and thousands of pieces of ads and hyper-localize them. That's just so incredible. So one, you were, you know, I want to kind of recap a a few things that you said that really hit home for me. So I think that there's this, um, you know, four years is not a long time. So definitely is so incredible to see how fast you've grown in four years, but it wasn't overnight, right? So I think when you talk about it not being glamorous and you're having to drive hours upon hours to sell dealership upon dealership, you were the one that was understanding your customer. You were selling to your customer. You were onboarding your customer. You were holding their hand. You were delivering the ads. You were, you know, like you were part of that unique value proposition initially, right? But you had to go through that to understand your customer first. You didn't just say, oh, I'm going to hire a sales team to go hire, to go, uh, to go uh, find my customers. You actually went through and sold dealership by dealership. And then you got to a point where you're like, okay, I have all these dealerships and I have, I have the business, but I know I can scale further. And now I need to create tools and automations to help me scale further. It didn't happen the other way around. No. And so we always kid around about this at Constellation that a lot of, I think, startups start with hiring leadership first, but we didn't have the money and we were self-funded right from the very beginning. So um, I started it with $22,000. That's all I had. Um, there were three people on the team, me, my partner, and his sister. <laughs> and my partner was 21 years younger than I was. And so he understood technology and social media way beyond what I understood it. And we formed a plan and a strategy, and we did the work ourselves. Every job that was at Constellation we did ourselves. Like I was the accountant, the salesperson, the QC person. And, you know, my partner was the one that was a strategist, the artist, the, I mean, just, we, we, we wore so many different hats right from the beginning. And it's such an important process to go through because only then are you able to really curate this incredible experience, right? Only then are you now able to understand it from that customer lens and understand going through a year that you've worn every hat. And that's what makes your software so unique in the marketplace, right? Versus hiring developers who've never had that pain point themselves. 
So solving a problem, right? You actually solved a huge problem that you had, right? You were trying to solve the solution. You were like, we have to create so many ads every quarter. I have to create 250,000 ads and there has to be a better way. I have to hire, I have 70 people on my staff. I don't want to hire 70 more people. If I go bring on more dealerships, there has to be a better way. And you couldn't find that solution. And you looked intrinsically and you're like, we need to build it. Yes. And that's what happened. And it just started growing from there because once I had 60 dealerships, then the automakers came in, right? So that's when I got a call from Volkswagen of America and they said, who are you and why do you have business with our franchises? And, you know, I mean, like we were a startup of one year back then. And I said to them, look, I really want to be certified in your program. And they're like, there are companies out there for 40 years that doesn't get certified by Volkswagen or the automakers, right? Why would we ever do that? And I said, I want you to take a look at one of these ads. And why don't you price that, right? Because all our ads are fully animated with After Effects and designs. And it's pretty incredible looking. So they went back to their agency of record and they asked them and they called me back in five minutes and they said they quoted $39,000 for this one ad. And they said, exactly. So we have a technology that we can go scale. We can make hundreds of thousands of the ads and we're able to mass produce it through MarTech, a marketing technology that's able to bring the prices of the advertisements down. And so that's what our hope was to do, was we wanted to run as an agency that was not a billable agency model, because I don't believe in billable agency models. Um, It doesn't work to the advantage of our clients. And so in order to do that, we had to break that model and disrupt the advertising industry. That is so incredible. I feel like this is where you drop the mic. And it feels so, it actually feels so similar to my story. Like I really resonate um, with, with this because I think it's, let's talk, I think it might be like the, the, the women in us, right? Like this is part of it that we, we want to create such a great experience for the customer and we're not greedy about it. Whereas like there's the, there's a truth in that when I launched uh, fat merchant, it was a completely new pricing model that the industry hadn't seen. It was an all you can eat model. I didn't want to have a transaction company that was transaction dependent. I wanted it to be, you know, dependent on software. I wanted to provide value and it to be a flat fee and easy to understand because I experienced that pain point in our small businesses as a family. And then when I was selling it door to door, I was literally selling merchant services door to door. And that was the biggest complaint of our customers wasn't even what they were paying. It was, they couldn't understand what they were being built. Right. And so I love that you not only just took this idea, but then you found a way, even from a pricing model standpoint to really disrupt an industry that had been charging the same way for so long. And then they quickly adapted because it was such a great value proposition. Not only are they getting the ads that they need, they're, they're, it's costing them half the cost as well. And they can, they can transparently scale it. 
Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think my heart was because I've worked for other agencies before, when you lose a client, they fire the entire team, right? It doesn't matter how gifted or talented you are. Um, it really has to do with billable hours. Yeah. And so by watching that throughout the years and realizing there's such top talent that's let go, just because there's certain fees that go away at a client level, I just felt like I did not want to build a company where you're constantly laying off based on basically people paying you or not paying you the billable hours. I wanted to be able to sustain all the people that we brought on and keep them consistently, but also um, be able to do it with or without even clients actually, you know, leaving or coming back. And so those are the things that we wanted to keep steady. That's so incredible. And look at, look at the success thus far. I mean, you have the, you know, all of the major automotives utilizing your platform. And then once you've really tackled one vertical and now you're scaling out to other verticals as well. So now that you've mastered this one lane, this one ideal customer of yours, you've been able to take that same playbook. And now you are like, we're a tech company utilizing you guys. We're not an automotive company. Yes. And so, yeah, we have clients uh, like Macy's of America. We have Fat Merchant. We have a supermarket chain called Food Town. They have 78 locations. We have uh, Barbie, who's also an EY winning women award. And we have many, many other clients outside of automotive now as well. I love it. I'd love for our audience for you to kind of share some of like the early challenges that you faced in starting a business. So a little bit about um, our audience here. Some of them may have an idea and they haven't even started a business. Um, and then some of them have a business, but they're really hitting um, blockers and challenges to really get to the next level. They may be in the six figure mark, but not there at the seven figure yet. If you could kind of take yourself, if you could take us back with you of where you were in the starting phases, some of the challenges that you faced, even getting consistently to the six figure revenue mark, and then what it took to get to the seven figure mark. We'd love to kind of deep dive into that. Sure. I mean, the only memory that I right now have, and it's a funny one is I think like the first five or six months of starting Constellation Agency, I would go to the bank myself to make these deposits from the checks that I would get from my clients. And I remember like depositing one of these checks and it was like, I don't know, $5,000. And I was saying to myself, what have I done? Because when I was an employee um, before starting Constellation, I was making, you know, five times that number or more on a regular basis. And here I am depositing this $5,000 check and not knowing when the next check was going to come in. And I just remember like, is this all worth it? What have I done? Like say if this actually fails and the fear that I had of all the people that I would let down if this didn't work out was something that drove me with so much passion Um, that I would say that, you know, I think a lot of female founders probably have that type of fear where we feel the weight of the world is on our shoulders every day for our family, for, you know, for our jobs, for the ideas that we have. And I'm not very different from any of that. I felt exactly that way. Um, So it was the fear that actually drove me to succeeding in so many ways. 
I love that. I think that a lot of us can resonate here. And I think that is, it is the truth for most women, right? I mean, it is that fear of, and I think that's probably one of also the reasons that stops us too. So something that I've noticed is that we actually don't take on risk as women, right? And so sometimes it does require people to scale and to invest in things that we're not comfortable doing or taking those chances. But because we're so risk averse or we're so afraid of letting um, people down around us or being, you know, hiring an employee and then not being able to support them, that sometimes it stops us even from making that decision to go forward and do it. And this is something that I've, uh, you know, really been noticing recently as I've dug further into this with the statistic that less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. I went on a, like a crazy Google mission to go figure this out. I'm like, why is it that I have so many incredible friends? Like we have so many friends in our circle that are all at this level. And it's like, what, you know, why is this statistic so extremely low? And it's four times more likely for a man to get there than a woman. And then when I look at the company sizes, I think that we even reach for the six-figure mark and we define that as success, right? And we don't take that next step to even create the room for us to grow, to say that we should be taking on more. We should be investing back into ourselves and we should be hiring more team members to strategically scale us. And I'd love to hear your thoughts around when you decided to kind of invest further into your company, into like your team growth and like what that looked like. Because Obviously you are, you're right. That notion of you were so scared depositing those checks and that drove you, but how did you overcome that? How did you put that aside to say that I still want to hire more and grow further? Yeah, I think a lot of my passion came from my team members that I worked with. Um, so the interesting part about me is I'm the oldest person in my company, right? And almost everybody that I work with is so much younger than I am. And they've got so many dreams and hopes. And I also knew that so much of what they were driven to do was based on the vision that I had given them, right? And so in so many aspects, I can't let them down, right? Like it was that fear of like, I will not let you down because you've gone above and beyond. My CTO left RGA, which is one of the biggest advertising technology companies in in New York City after being there for 14 years, right? And I've had people that left our companies after 10 years of being there and they're not related to me in any way. We weren't friends. I found them on LinkedIn or as a referral from other people that said they were the best of the best team. So I made them this promise that we are going to fight it out and we're going to do the best that we can. And no matter what, we're going to defeat every obstacle, but we're going to run and we're going to run hard. And we're not going to make sure that whoever comes at us, we're going to make sure we defeat any type of those types of situations. And knowing that 30 years of working with men, (laughs) having gone through so many challenges, you know, whether it was sexual harassment, you know, being asked to give them a massage. I mean, I can tell you stories of the things that I've gone through. Oh my goodness, yes. It, It was difficult. So like, if I had to live through all of that, I could do this. And that was really where it all came from. Oh my God. I am just floored right now. And I definitely do want to dig further. If you're open to talking about some of those obstacles that you did face, I love how inspiring you are, Diana. I think that is like one of your most incredible qualities. And it's by no surprise that 
um, the best of the best working for massive agencies and massive technology companies that have had 10s and 14 and 30 years of experience themselves are leaving to come join your vision. How does somebody get this kind of vision? So what is it about you? Like, you know, where does this confidence come from? Um, have you always dreamt this big? Have you always felt so empowered that you're like, we're going to defeat everyone ever and we're never going to let anything stop us? Like, I want to join your mission too. You know, I think a lot of it came from a very young age, being an immigrant in this country. We came over when I was five years old, back in 1975, um, into the U.S. My parents told me that the U.S. was uh, the land of gold. You know, it was going to give us new opportunities that we would never get anywhere else. And um, coming from a third world country and not having enough to eat was where I came from, the slums of Philadelphia. And um, back in 1975, I was raised there. And so much of my upbringing had to be with the fact that my parents worked 15-hour days. Um, They gave their life to make sure I had a life. You know, and so, you know, they bought a convenience store, they worked, you know, every single day. And I remember they would get up at four or five in the morning to go to work. Um, But the funny thing is, so coming from an Asian family, we use a lot of negative reinforcements (laughs) in Asian families. And so, you know, I think it wasn't all about my parents being so supportive. It was actually the opposite in so many ways where they would say, you're not smart enough. You're not doing your best. You need to work harder. You need to do more. And uh, one of the funniest stories is my dad who loved me very much. And I loved him very much was so worried that I wasn't going to succeed in life. And I remember he used to go around when I was five years old. He'd tell everybody. It was so embarrassing. But he would go around and he would say, will you take care of my daughter? Because she's not going to succeed because she's too little and she's not smart enough. And, you know, coming from a, uh, a nation where women couldn't move up. So think about it. Korea. Where did you? Yeah, I was going to say, where did you immigrate, um, immigrate from? South Korea. And even now, women are not allowed to have leading positions there, right? And so coming from an environment where you can't even be valedictorian in that country back then because you're a female, that's where I came from, right? And so my father would go around because he came from this culture telling people, you need to take care of my daughter, you need to take care of my daughter, you need to take care of my daughter. And I guess I could have gone the way that he felt, which was maybe I need to be taken care of. But from a very young age, I heard that and I went the other way. A little fire was brewing from way back then. And I would say, I'll show you. (laughs) And I just always had that. I'll show you. I'll prove it out. And I say this to my husband all the time that I wish that the drive to succeed came from a place of security But the honest truth is it came from a place of insecurity, um, which I'm not like, you know, that proud of. But if people honestly ask me where to come from, it's because I was insecure. It wasn't because I was secure. It was because I didn't have as much faith. I wasn't sure 
And so those are the things that kept driving me to succeed. I have goosebumps right now, just hearing that. And I really appreciate you so much for being so vulnerable today and sharing that because I think many of us can really relate to having that security. Um, For me, this story, I don't know. I feel like you're my other sister all the time. I always tell you this, my parents, I also came from an immigrant family. My, I saw my father wake up every morning at four in the morning to go run his convenience store. So that's what we did. And still, still to this day, you know, my, my father just passed away. My mom is still running the store. Um, it's this like last little piece of our family that's there that like just reminds us of the hard work that it takes to succeed. And um, I just now looking back, I mean, even you talking about um, where you come from in South Korea and not even being able to be valedictorian, even if you are the smartest, the brightest, the number one, but just because you're a woman, not being able to hold that position of power. And today you are crowned as like the top 10 female fastest growing company in America. Like that's, that's a Cinderella story. Like you have, you've proven anything and everything that you could have ever wanted. And going back to that five-year-old Diana, you know, with your father, I'm sure he'd be so proud of you today. Yeah. I think it's a world that he would have never dreamt about that a woman could succeed to this level. Right. Because it didn't happen in the country that he was raised And I have to say, like, if I can do it, we can all do it, right? That this is what the message really is. And when I hear from one of my employees the other day, she's like, I think I'm going to do it one day. And I was like, you should do it because if I can do it, I know you can do it. And that's what I want to say to you as well as every woman out there is like, if I can do it, you can do it too. I know it. I love it. I just... I love that you're sharing this because it definitely does resonate so much with all of us listening. I feel so inspired. Diana, I love to ask our guests on the show. So did you even know about the uh, 2% statistic or did you have a milestone of hitting that million dollar club? And what did you do when you got there? Did you celebrate? Like, what was that moment like happening? Um, Because your company grew so fast so early. So I don't know if that was a milestone that you had. Yes, it was amazing because I still remember that I would speak to our my co-founder, Matt, and we would be like, you know, in the very beginning days, we'd be like, do you think we could actually make $2 million at Constellation? Oh my gosh, we'll sell if we make $2 million at Constellation. That's what we kid around about all the time. We're like, oh my gosh. And to like realize like $2 million when, you know, now we're getting you know, amazing multiple evaluations for our company. It's just, just, we're just dumbfounded by what we've created just through passion and hard work and our team that's been so dedicated. So I never dreamt that we could get here. And like, I just like for us, a million or 2 million was just so far out of reach back two years ago or three years ago, I just am shocked that we were able to get where we are right now. No, it's so well-deserved. It's so well-deserved. And it is that passion. It is that relentless fear. It is that it's the truth. It's the insecurity that drove you of that. You want to prove everybody wrong. You want to prove that Diana is going to be the best and here you are. And I'm so honored that we got a chance to interview you today, to hear your story 
to talk about, you know, all the success that you've had, but especially on a day like today, I just feel so overwhelmed and connected to you right now. And I'm so proud of you. We're all so proud of you. How do we learn more about Constellation or find you? I know something that, do you ever mentor women companies? Like, is that something, something that you're doing? Cause you do it inside your organization. Yes, we would love that. We would love to continue to work with other female founders and I'm happy to do it. And so if you want to reach out to me, um, you know, you can reach out through constellationagency.com or you can find me on LinkedIn under Diana Lee. Um, And I'm always here and around to help as many people as possible. Uh, But you're an inspiration as well. And so to have other inspiring women out there that we can, like, I've never found a group of women like yourself that I love calling because all you want to do is talk about business. And so do I. (laughs) (laughs) We could just go on and on. And this is our passion. So I'd love to have other female founders that, that want to reach out. Well, I appreciate it. And it is so fun. It is so fun finding that community. And I think that's so important. I think that's, that's something that we as women really long for. We are, we've, we're, we've always been community centric and it's always village centric, but unfortunately it is a man's world, right? It is, it, it has been that way for so long. We're in this really unique shift right now happening in the world. There's a shift happening in socioeconomic standards. There's a shift happening in, um, in sexism stand like standards. There's a shift happening in colorism standards. There's a shift happening in political standards. We're in this like insane 2020 world right now. And I'm so excited, honestly, it's crazy, but I'm so excited for what the future holds for my daughters and what the world is going to look like. And I hope that they don't even have to have these conversations, right? I, I know that you, you know, you were working in a time, you know, the stories that you're sharing um, or alluding to, uh, you know, I was fortunate that although I was in a male dominated industry, there was some of it, but I didn't have to deal with it the way that, um, you know, you had to deal with it 10 years senior in, in your experience. And it's only hopefully gotten better, but it still exists. But I'm really excited to see where where the world takes us, um, especially for our future generations. And hopefully this dialogue is helping change that today and having these conversations, having the tough conversations, sharing these insecurities um, is super important. But what is also important is that we as women really stick together, right? We're not going to, you can, you know, the, the old uh, African proverb is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's exactly when I found my community um, of women I feel like I was able to fly further just because I, ha- I had a net. Finally, I had other people that I could talk to and say, I'm having trouble here. How did you deal with it? Also, even just understanding mom life, right? Like daughter life, understanding family life and then balancing work life. Like it's so tough to relate to men sometimes on this. Absolutely. And I found so interesting is that, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but as you, are a CEO of a company, you think that that's the position that you want. And then you quickly realize that it's probably the loneliest position that you'll have. And meaning that you realize that you don't have the ability to just talk about your fears to people at your company or to others. And other women around you don't understand some of those fears that you have if they're not a business owner or 
if they haven't been challenged to the same degree as you have. And so I think it's really important to realize that we need to advocate for each other. And, and if you are having the same type of passion of going after businesses like we are, we need to find each other and advocate for each other. Because I think too many women become competitive. And that is the piece that I want to make sure that we get across on this podcast is that men are not competitive the way that women are competitive. Women will knock off other women to get ahead. And the men, they're like, let's go golfing. Let's strategize. Do this deal with me. And they'll work together to actually make you know, greater gains and more success. And that's the piece that I feel like we're missing as women. So many of us turn competitive and we don't advocate. And I think that that's one of the pieces that I'd love to fix uh, because I think we're so much better if we are able to team up and be pro-women together. I agree with that notion 100%. And it's definitely something that, you know, we need to keep pushing forward. And for those of you listening, let's find ways to not only collaborate together, but bring each other up. So wherever you are in your journey today, right, there's, there's a woman that is just getting started. That's one step behind, right? Let's find a way to raise her up and let's find a way to help each other and get to the top, get to this 2% club together. I think something this reminds me of is this, um, I read this analogy once about crabs and just hear me out here of where this is going to go. So if you throw, you know, fishermen, when they, when they fish for crabs or they throw a net out for crabs, they bring in the crabs and then they throw the crabs into a basket. They're actually not in, they're just in a basket or in a bucket and there's no lid over, over the bucket. And the, the interesting thing about crabs is that they actually don't come out of the bucket. So although they can crawl right out, what happens is that as soon as one starts crawling, the other one crawls right behind it and pulls it down. So all they're doing is one's trying to escape, but everyone is pulling their leg right behind it. So what happens is that nobody gets out. So they actually don't ever have to cover the crab basket because no one is letting each other out versus if crabs would help each other. So instead of pulling the leg, lifted each other or pushed each other up, they could all get out. And so let's not be crabby, I guess. And, you know, I just thought it was like such an interesting analogy about crabs, but it, there's truth in that, right? There's truth in lifting each other up and seeing how far we can go together versus even that little bit of pulling each other down brings the whole group down. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us today, Diana. I appreciate you sharing your story today. I'm so honored to have you. And it's been an incredible episode. Thanks everyone for listening to the CEO School podcast. And I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.